Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. You'll listen this week, the invertebrate, the invertebrate workforce, how we give big tasks to the tiniest of creatures. Your teacher is Dr. Liza Middleton, lab manager of the Invertebrate Behaviour and Ecology Lab at the University of Sydney. Eliza, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You are, you're positing that the invertebrates are increasingly becoming essential members of our workforce. How come? Well, I mean, obviously, it's not just our beautiful pollinators and a bit of that medical research that goes on with, with our invertebrates. They're also really important when it comes to inspired invertebrate-inspired design and technology, uh, and they could be conducting search and rescue operations or sniffing out drugs and disease in the future. Let's start with those earthquake rescues. This is from North Carolina State University, this, this, uh, this development. Uh, a bioengineer is, is using uh, cockroaches to help search for survivors of earthquakes. Yeah, this one is amazing if you think about it. So obviously when there's been an earthquake, you know, some kind of natural disaster like that where you have collapsed buildings and, and rubble, um, the first responders, they only have minutes to try and find survivors. But there's also that risk that the, the rubble is incredibly unstable and that they themselves can then end up getting trapped as well. So what the uh, this researcher in um, North Carolina State University has done has developed this little backpack that these cockroaches wear um, that's hooked up to their bodies through their antennae that allows them to walk into one of these uh, earthquake zones or rubble zones and start naturally exploring. And obviously, because they weigh so little, they're not going to be a risk to further collapse. Uh, And those little backpacks carry a bunch of microphones and sensors that then allow the researchers to kind of triangulate in on the noises and the presence of survivors so that they can locate them and concentrate their rescue efforts there. Mm. Even more amazingly, the electrodes connected to their bodies allow the researchers to direct where the cockroaches walk based on the electrical stimulation of the antennae. This is amazing. Yeah, exactly. So they can turn them left or right as they need. They can get them to search in deeper if they start going out of a zone of interest, they're able to turn them back in. Uh, so they really are controlling these little roaches. There's even a DIY, DIY kit available so you can try this <laughs> out yourself. Yeah, there is. You can you can get this online uh, and, and hook up a cockroach to it and control it with an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm ga- gathering they haven't been used in real life situations yet, but he's hoping they can be. Yeah, and I think that's one of the really interesting things about the researcher behind this is that he did some work um, in these kinds of areas um, volunteering as a first responder and and was just trying to find a way to make things better, safer and quicker. Okay, very similar but slightly different is insect espionage. Researchers are using beetles and moths as surveillance drones. Imagine this, a moth lands on your shoulder in the middle of the park in Russia as you're having a conversation with with President Putin. It's got a microphone on it. Yeah, and this this is very it's similar to the cockroaches. Um the the researchers are able to control the direction that these moths and beetles are able to to go and they're even able to control how long they fly for. 
and they can be hooked up with little microphones and even small cameras. So they can, you know, pop on your shoulder. You might not even notice them on the wall next to you. It's just another moth. Get that information and fly off. Micro aerial vehicles is the name they're being described by, MAVs. We don't really know. We know that's possible. We don't know whether they're actually being used in practice, but they may be. They might be. Um, There are MAVs that have been developed. So the MAVs are the insect-inspired spy drones. So they aren't, unlike the moths, um, the beetles that have, you know, the little backpack or the microchip that, that controls how they fly, the MAVs are an entirely constructed drone. Okay. Uh, and they are um, they are currently being developed. There's, there's three that I know of, the Skeeter, the Robofly, and the Delfly, and they're all able to carry cameras and microphones. And the applications there are not just for espionage. They're not just for kind of military strikes or things like that, but they could also monitor the health of, of crops inside greenhouses. And they could sample your DNA. Potentially, if if you if these uh, miniature spy drones can get small enough, then there is a chance that they can land on you and leave behind a little bit of tracking nanotechnology or pick up a sample of your DNA and then fly back to whoever was checking on you. Okay. In that case, I mean, the cockroaches are real cockroaches, <laughs> right? In this case, it's a, it's a, it's a constructed thing ma- made to look sufficiently like a fly that you wouldn't notice? Uh, not as yet. Uh, so the Skeeter, the Robofly and the Delfly, they all look like just small I'm not quite sure what that is, but you know they're you know fit in the in the palm of your hand kind of thing. So they're they're quite little, uh, but they're not yet down to the size of you know a little mosquito that'll land on you. But I I think that might be the aim. <laughs> now let's flip back again to the real animal world. Detector bees. Now these are real bees that are trained, much like a dog is trained to sniff things out. Yeah. So the I think the The promise mostly is in the honeybees because you get them in their very large colonies and they're very easy to train. But there are also some species of wasps and and roaches and even moths that have been have been used like this. Um, And they the honeybees themselves might replace your sniffer dogs at the airport. Uh, They've been trained to tell the difference between drugs like heroin and and cocaine, and uh, they can very quickly be trained. It's not time consuming. It's not costly, unlike retraining or or training a dog up from from the beginning. Uh, And they're also much smaller. So you can walk around a little bit inconspicuous trying to find who might be Mm. carrying the illegal substance. Okay. Now the dog, most people listening, if they've been through an airport, will have seen this. The dog, when the dog is worried about something, will sit down next to the offending article. What does the bee do? So uh, there's kind of two different ways that they can do this. Um, one group has looked at getting the honeybees to uh, react in a way where in the presence of drugs, there's a signal that comes from their antennae and that uh, that signal is then connected to some electrodes to be amplified and that is how they res- record a positive or a negative response depending on the signal, the ele- electronic signal from that antennae. But there's also the proboscis extension response, which is when they, the little bees, if you can imagine, their tiny, tiny little tongues 
they'll stick their tongue out because they've been trained to associate the scent of a drug or, or something like that with a sugar reward. So they've been trained in that Pavlovian sense of you hear the bell, food's about to turn up. In this case, they smell something, food's about to turn up. Amazing. So it just depends on which one they're using. Just incredible. And and here's one where the, the fact that they're so tiny is important. Explosives. Because, of course, if a dog steps on a landmine, that's going to be terrible. But a bee could. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is some really great new research that's come out in the last couple of years looking at using bees to identify the locations of those legacy landmines, the ones that you find in the countrysides of of post-conflict areas. And obviously trying to get rid of those using humans or dogs is a very slow, very dangerous procedure. But this way, these researchers have come up with two sampling methods. The first is a passive sample where they just put chemical sensors on the outside of a a hive. And then as the bees go out and forage, when they return, there's strips in these chemical sensors that just take a sample off the bees that tell them if there is explosive material present or not wherever the bees have been Mm -hmm. foraging. And then they couple that with the active sampling where the honeybees are trained to seek out and congregate over the landmine locations based on that scent that they're able to detect that maybe we can't quite smell what an explosive smells like, but bees can smell what an explosive smells like. So they'll fly out over an area and they'll start to congregate where they're getting this smell, but there's obviously no flowers there or there's there's nothing there for them to, to feed on, but they're all hanging out. And they'll use a drone that can image the area and use a heat map to determine the density of the bees in that location. And wherever the bees are most dense, that's the likelihood of where a potential mine might be so that they can direct where they start to to search to, to get rid of that mine. It's so incredible, isn't it? It sounds like science fiction, yeah. but it's, it's real. Eliza Middleton is with us. Just, just one final one, and maybe it's a bit more prosaic, but, but, but COVID-19, we've heard about dogs being used to sniff out COVID-19, but bees can do it too. Exactly. The same thing again with that Pavlovian conditioning. They're able to train the bees to detect, to, to smell those SARS-CoV-2 positive samples and then they reward them with a sugar reward when they're right and the bees remember this. Uh, and then, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they're not just going to release bees into hospitals or supermarkets to find COVID-positive <laughs> people. Um, but the bees do have very good accuracy, 92% accurate in their results of, of determining who is and who isn't positive for, for COVID. Okay, but you could have bees in a little container with, with, with air circulation, hold them up towards the, the, the patient in a way that you know, they can't get out and sting the patient, obviously, and they could use their sensors, yeah? Yeah, a little portable box of bees. I mean, it's less invasive than a, a rapid antigen test. Yeah, and more trainable than a dog. We don't want to take them entirely away from their other occupation, which is making us beautiful honey. That's the only problem. What, a, what a, an amazing <laughs> lesson. Eliza, thank you so much. No problem. There you go. There's Dr. Eliza Middleton. She's lab manager of the Invertebrate Behaviour and Ecology Lab at the University of Sydney. You can listen again online at abc.net.au slash Sydney. Maybe there's a young person you want to excite about science. Well, if that doesn't do it, I don't know what will. Get them to listen to it. Uh, There you'll also find details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast next week. A lesson from Tom Wright, Artistic Director at Belvoir. He usually takes us on a little trip 
into Australian history. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.